This is episode number 277. It's never too late to start with 51-year-old ultra runner Ian Morgan. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Mental laziness is something that you can use as an excuse, but at the end of the day, I had to like face myself and say, is that the person I really want to be? And I remember when I was a kid, I wasn't that way. I used to challenge myself, I used to push myself. So I guess I just went back to those childhood experiences, examined it and thought, well, what can I do now as an adult to bring that to the forefront, to push myself again? And once I realized I had this propensity for mental laziness, I then know when it comes up. I know when I start telling myself those excuses and I can check myself and use that discipline, use that consistency and start putting in the work. I hope that you're having an awesome week and you are looking forward to some fun over the holidays. We are very excited to be heading to Albuquerque, New Mexico on Monday. That's where I'm from and my parents and grandma live there and we haven't been since 2019 because of the pandemic. This will also be our first time on an airplane traveling with Bradley, so I'm sure there's going to be some fun learnings involved there. And I'm really looking forward to getting back to the desert. It's a nice place for me to reconnect every year, and I have so many fond memories. I'm also really excited about the new year and just all of the projects that I've been working on. My health and mental performance coaching has been something that has been really fulfilling for me, and it's been wonderful to see so many people make these transformative changes, and they're doing it on their own just with my guidance. It's empowering to see how people can change their lives and how much power we actually do have, how much autonomy we actually do have. And today's guest is a prime example of that. And speaking of power and autonomy over our own lives, have you checked out Inside Tracker? If you listen to this podcast, I'm sure that you've heard of them, but they are a service that analyzes your blood for different types of biomarkers using a sophisticated algorithm based in research. And you can look at anything from your A1C to your creatine kinase to all of the different various biomarkers surrounding iron. There's just so much information that you can get. In fact, there's over 35 biomarkers that you can look at. And you set goals based on what your personal health goals are, whether it be performing better as an endurance athlete. Maybe it's better heart health. Maybe it's better gut health. Maybe it's better sleep. You get to pick what your goals are, and then they use their research to adjust the reference ranges of some of these biomarkers and make lifestyle recommendations, whether it be diet, whether it be a supplement, whether it be just a slight change that you can make during your day to help improve on those. I've been doing it since 2017, and it's really amazing to have that kind of data on myself. And whenever I go get a blood test just with my doctor, I don't get nearly as much information, but I can actually go back and I do this. I go back and I compare it to my inside tracker blood work to see where I was at for some of these biomarkers. One of them in particular that I looked at recently was my A1C because whenever you're pregnant between 24 to 28 weeks of pregnancy, they do various types of gestational diabetes screenings. And I asked to opt out of the gross glucose drink that you're supposed to drink. I know that the women who have been pregnant here know what I'm talking about. Last time I did it, it made me feel super sick. So I asked if I could just do a fasting uh, blood sugar and an A1C test. 
So they were able to do that. And I went back and I compared it to all of my inside tracker tests to see that I was spot on to where I normally am. And that was reassuring. You can also look at things like your metabolism through inside tracker, your cholesterol, the HDL and the LDL cholesterol, your triglycerides, you can look at inflammation, you can look at electrolyte balance. So it's it's totally worth doing because you can get this information and just be the best version of yourself and you get to be the one in charge of it. For 25% off all of their tests, go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia. If you are a New Year's resolution person, this might be a fun way to start the new year and to motivate yourself to make some positive changes in your life. And if you're looking for health coaching, I can help you change your behavior and create healthier habits. You can go to sonyalooney.com slash health-coaching. There's something really cool about being able to make your own changes. And speaking of changes, let's get into today's guest, Ian Morgan. And I just want to say a quick shout out to Joey, who is a supporter of this podcast. And he actually uh, recommended that I have Ian on the podcast. And when I checked out Ian, I was super excited. So thank you, Joey. And those of you who have a guest in mind that you really want to hear from, shoot me a message and let me know who they are. And if they're a good fit, we will get them teed up to go on the show. Have you ever used the excuse, it's too late for me, I'm too old to start? I can't tell you how many times I've heard people use these reasons to not do something. And we often create these barriers and these glass ceilings that prevent us from starting. And they're really just in our own head. And today's guest, Ian Morgan, is an ultra runner and he's crushing it in his 50s. And guess what? He wasn't always a runner. He didn't even start on this journey until he was in his mid 40s. Since then, his entire life has changed. Ian was primarily focused on his engineering career and property investment company in his 20s and 30s. Realizing that a primary focus on money, materialistic possessions, and career achievements wasn't making him happy, he took a 180-degree turn in his life. Ian said, I was overweight, stressed, and unhappy with myself, so I started to run. This is where I discovered a passion for ultra running. Eventually, I sold everything I owned, houses, cars, bikes, and all my furniture, and started living a more nomadic, minimalist lifestyle, traveling the world and running 50 to 250 kilometers plus ultra races in some of the world's wildest places. Well, how did this happen? Because this doesn't happen overnight. Starting as a proverbial couch potato to Ian's present day super fit ultra running presence, he seriously is fast in addition to running these really long distances. He's ran a 250 marathon. Ian knows what it takes to claim responsibility for your life and make lasting changes. And to top it all off, he says, you're never too old to get started. How many of us would think that we could start our running career, especially an ultra running career in our mid to late 40s and even early 50s? How many of us have thought that we could sign up for a 100K trail running race or mountain bike race in our 50s without having done it in the past. His current job now is to run, and he works with sponsors as a competitive lifestyle athlete and inspires thousands with his Instagram account. We talked about a lot of really important topics in this episode, and I think something that you'll like about Ian is that he's just somebody that makes it seem like you could do it too. Just because he did it seems like you can do it too, and he's very relatable. Ian talks about why we lose connection to ourselves as athletes, overcoming mental laziness. And I know that a lot of us struggle with this. In fact, every human being struggles with mental laziness. So how do you overcome it? How do you even realize that you're being mentally lazy? The problem with taking on too much too quickly, Ian's inspiring transformation story, 
And we talk about aging and what our expectations can be as we get older and how to define success in your life and in your career. And Ian has a unique perspective because he has had very high levels of financial and career success, but he has also defined success in a new way for himself as an athlete and living in alignment with things that make him light up and things that make him happy, which is really different than what they were whenever he was in his 20s and 30s. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you like topics like this, I have a free weekly newsletter that I send out every single Monday. You can subscribe at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. The newsletter has an article geared towards mindset, motivation, habits, and performance. I spent a lot of time researching and studying and also coaching on these topics. So I hope that you find the newsletter useful and actionable in your own lives. You can get that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. And if you're enjoying the newsletter, please share it with your friends along with the show. So let's get into Ian Morgan's amazing story. Ian, welcome to the show. Great. Uh, Thanks for having me. One coffee lover to another. Yes, most definitely. Actually, one of the things I've got here while I'm in quarantine in this hotel room is uh, I got someone to drop off a coffee machine for me. So it's like a a vital piece of survival equipment. What kind of coffee machine? Or like what kind of coffee does Uh, it make? uh, it's just a pod one. Obviously, it's uh, it's not the one I usually have. I left actually left that back in Spain, <laughs> but it'll do for now. Yeah. Well, you're in some good places for coffee. Exactly. Exactly. Do you have a favorite brew method? You know, you can't beat. I, I've got an AeroPress, and I actually don't have it here with me. It's in the UK at the moment. Uh, don't even ask how it ended up there. <laughs> but um, you know, a lot of the time, just a simple. Um, just get some locally sourced coffee, throw it in the AeroPress, uh, push it down to your coffee cup and away you go. Yeah, the AeroPress is my favorite, especially for travel, because a lot of places just have yeah. like the instant coffee and it's like, no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the way to go for me too. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I made the mistake of leaving it in a one of my suitcases, which had some sort of like of my extra ultra running gear in it. And I left it at a friend's in the UK and I unfortunately didn't get back to get it before we came here to Chile. So I'll be without it for a few months, but such is life. We're kind of starting at the end here, but I'm just curious, what do you pack as an old, like what are some of the things that you pack for your travels as an ultra runner? Not so much, mostly running clothes, to be honest. So always shoes, lots, uh, about three or four pairs of shoes, depending on how long I'm going somewhere uh, and and what I'm planning on doing. But for example, we're here for three months. So I've got, I think, one, two, three, four pairs of shoes, like a couple of running vests, uh, wet weather, cold weather, mountain gear, and probably the sort of like the smallest part of my suitcase is going out clothes. Uh, I think I have like one shirt and a pair of jeans and that's about it um so so, um and and that's probably also come about more from like uh, the last few years with the uh, pandemic is most places have been closed when i've been traveling so you can't really go out anywhere anyway so um, running is it yeah cyclists are always uh envious of runners when they're traveling so we have like our massive bike suitcase and every single person wants to know what's in the bag and then you have all this equipment and then all this like tools and you just it's impossible to travel light so i'm always envious of ultra runners and and runners and their uh their suitcases <laughs> yeah for sure i mean most of the time i just travel with a uh, like one of those north face uh, duffel bags so if i'm going away for like uh 
I know a month. I just take one of those with me. I don't even need uh, like a you know the uh, the suitcase with wheels, a travel suitcase. I just take a duffel bag, throw it on my back, and away I go. So you and I were chatting a little bit before we hit record here, but where are you? Uh, currently in Santiago, Chile. Um, just flew in five days ago. So over the jet lag now, but uh, unfortunately I have to stay in a hotel for seven days quarantine. No problems. I'm fine, but uh, just one of the entry requirements. So I'm going a little bit uh, crazy. I have a balcony and it looks straight out into the mountains. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but yeah, I'm here in Chile for about the next three months doing some mountain training, probably jump into a couple of shorter distance races and also to have a bit of a break in the northern hemisphere at the moment it's the winter season so not much is happening for ultra runners unless you're really into um, yeah, cross-country skiing or ski mountaineering so i've come here for the summer to train and have some fun yeah Chile's awesome for the the mountain bikers there's a, a stage race called the trans andes that's in january and I've, I've done that a few times and man it's it's awesome to come down there in january uh, I bet. Yeah, there's some actually some incredible downhills um, just out the back of Santiago. Up from the there's a ski center, a ski lodge up at about Pariones, up to about three thousand meters, and there's like a sick bike trail all the way from there all the way down into the valley. So you're dropping down about two two and a half thousand meters from mem- uh, about two thousand two hundred meters, and it's just just this wicked downhill all through the Andes. It's amazing. So I have one more question for you before we dive into who is Ian Morgan for the audience, but how do you decide where you want to live? Because you, you've been kind of traveling around and living different places. You know, that's a tough one because I haven't really found somewhere that I feel completely settled. Um, we, um, me and my partner, Fran, moved to Spain this year and we found somewhere to live there and we're going back there to live. I've, I've got my Spanish residency, which should be coming through in December. So, um, yeah, we're going to base ourselves in Spain, but, you know, I'm a bit of a traveler. I, I like to move around, uh, follow the weather, follow, um, like, uh, events. And, and if I like somewhere and I like hanging out there, I just spend time there until I'm sort of like I'm done with the place, I guess, and then I move on. And to put it in perspective, I had kids super young at the, uh, in the earlier part of my life. I raised kids, I had, you know, a house, a mortgage, all those kinds of things. It was only in the last few years that I sort of um, changed how I live and became sort of more nomadic and uh, living this lifestyle. So I guess while a lot of people were doing that in their 20s, I was raising kids, working at a career, and now I'm like, uh, I guess, reverse aging or doing it backwards, Yeah. And I think that lifestyle is actually quite inspiring to a lot of people, especially as they're getting older. So let's talk about like your younger life. Like I'm not saying that you're old in any way, but like you mentioned (laughs) in your twenties, like in your twenties, you're focused on, you know, getting the house, the mortgage, the career, the kids, like what kind of person were you back then? And what was important to you, you know, when you were growing up in your twenties? Oh, fundamentally, I think, you know, there's obviously traits that are still very similar. I don't think people change massively throughout their lives. I certainly think circumstances um, change. Uh, and, and we change, I guess, as we go through those circumstances. So in my 20s, yeah, I mean, I had kids young. I think my ex-wife now, but at the time wife, uh, got pregnant as late teens. 
And yeah, we got married and had four kids, uh, all in relatively quick succession. Uh, finished my um, studies and uh, got a job in engineering and sort of worked my way up through there uh, into sort of managerial type roles. And, you know, I bought a house, ended up buying a few houses actually in, in the sort of grand scheme of things. And just became that sort of like, I don't know, middle management, middle income, you know, kids went to, uh, we, we put our kids through um, school, that kind of stuff. I guess what you would call the stereotypical middle-class New Zealander lifestyle. And um, yeah, that was pretty much my 20s. I wasn't really into sport. I, I uh, stopped sport after I finished high school. You know, I did a little bit of martial arts, I suppose, uh, in my 20s because uh, I really enjoyed like the physicality again of, of just doing something and moving. But then after that, when that finished, I did nothing. In fact, I, I did less than nothing. Uh, um, the only exercise I did was, you know, uh, I think I've said a, a, a number of times getting up off the couch to go and get another beer. So um, that was sort of my physical activity. But yeah, 20s were just a, a bit of a blur, just busy raising kids, sort of building a career and paying lots of bills. <laughs> Yeah, I think that a lot of people can relate relate with the story of, you know, maybe they were athletic or they enjoyed doing things outside growing up. But then once the, quote, responsibilities of life caught up with them, it was really hard to prioritize still doing those things and still taking care of yourself in the same way. Why do you think that that happens? Like, why do you think we kind of lose connection with that? You know, I don't know, like, for everyone. I, I certainly know in my case, it was just sheer mental laziness. And, I, you know, like, to be fair to myself as well, there, you know, it does take a lot when you've got a family with kids and you have a lot of other things going on with career and work. And, um, yeah, I mean, I was tired a lot of the time, especially when uh, one of our kids didn't sleep so well through the night. Uh, my son for the first, I think, like almost two years. And, you know, that, that on top of working and, and raising the other kids was, was tough. But, yeah, personally... You know, if, when I really sort of examined it after I changed my, my life in my 40s uh, and the direction I was going, I realized that I was basically, you know, a hard worker and I, I worked hard to achieve what I did, but I, I was basically mentally lazy and I thought, no, nah, it's just too hard. And it wasn't too hard. I just told myself that to sort of like make myself feel better that, you know, um, about my situation. So... Now, you know, that change once I think um, one of the key things about the change that I had was to is uh, you get to know yourself a lot better when you put yourself in situations where you're not comfortable. So certainly going through the physical change, starting to travel, starting to race, you know, I mean, now I'm quite comfortable turning up in a, a country where I can't speak the language and just going out, finding some trails, meeting people, doing what I need to do. I mean, I've been traveling throughout this uh, pandemic to different countries, struck all sorts of issues, problems. I actually ended up in a Brazilian hospital ward with COVID myself uh, for, in an isolation ward for several days. So I think what I learned was that, you know, mental laziness is something that you can use as an excuse. But at the end of the day, I had to like face myself and say, is that the person I really want to be? And I remember when I was a kid, I wasn't that way. I used to challenge myself. I used to push myself. 
so I guess I just like went back to that those childhood experiences examined it and thought well what can I do now as an adult to bring that to the forefront to to push myself again and once I realized I had mental mental I had this sort of uh, propensity for mental laziness I I then know when it comes up. I know when I start telling myself those excuses and I can check myself and go, no, come on, get on, get on with it, use that discipline, use that consistency and start putting in the work. So, yeah, that's for me. For other people, I really don't know. We're all so different. Yeah, overcoming that mental laziness piece and taking responsibility for it, I think is quite challenging for most people. How did you come to terms with that? Because you said once you realized it, because before you were saying, oh, it's just too hard. I'm too tired. Like, and it's so easy to listen to all of those things. And there are times where you do need to give yourself a break. But like, how did you transform that mental space into I'm actually just being lazy and I need to get going? Yeah, good point. And to put it in perspective, you made you made a good point there, too, um, that you know, you do also need to realize when you need to actually have a break. There's, there's a difference between mental laziness and exhaustion. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't suggest, you know, a lot of the time that that's once again comes back to knowing yourself. I think as most athletes would know or people that, that train in any particular sport, after a period of time, you get to know your body, what it's capable of. And you know when you're just feeling a bit tired, but you can still push through or when you're actually, you know, exhausted or at that point where you've maybe dug into the the overtraining hole a little bit and you have to pull back and I think that just comes with time and experience but yeah how to realize that and how to how to apply it good question I think it's always a work in progress but for me the things that helped me the most was initially consistency so when I first started running you know three to four days a week whatever it was, I think three to five kilometers each time. And no matter how I felt, whether it was summer, winter, raining, sunny, hot, whether I had uh, had a late night the night before, whether um, I had, you know, a lot on that day, I just made it like a priority to get that work done. And sometimes that meant getting up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning to do it. Sometimes it meant doing it at 10 at night. So with the consistency came the discipline. So as I became more consistent, I was like, okay, this is the routine. This is what you do. And when I didn't really feel like doing it, I developed the sense of discipline to just get it done. Um, And I'm not saying you're always going to enjoy the process uh, (laughs) and it's always fun, but consistency and discipline were probably the two key things that led me to where I am now. The whole thing with Instagram where people say, oh, mo- what do you do for motivation? What's your inspiration? I think those things are uh, like more tied to emotions. I think they're quite fleeting because if you do any sport or any activity or business or study or anything, motivation, you can lose pretty quickly. You can be inspired by someone or something and you can lose that pretty quickly. But if you're consistent and you're disciplined, that just continues. It almost becomes a habit, I guess. Yeah. And taking it back even a little bit further, you mentioned you were running, but you had to overcome mental laziness to get off the couch for the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm writing a book at the moment about sort of uh, my journey from couch to this beginning journey into the world of ultra running. And, and I wouldn't call myself professional, but uh, a full-time paid running person. I don't know what you'd call it really. So 
Yeah, I'm writing a book and, and you know, part of the start of that book is that moment when I was actually sitting on the couch, you know, mind turned off, numb to like what was going on, all the stresses of life, drinking a beer. And it was almost like someone or something reached inside me or myself and flicked a switch. And once the, the switch had been flicked, there was no going back to that old person. So I don't know, it was like um, just in a moment, you know, like a click of the fingers. And for me, everything sort of developed from that point. So I don't know, there's sort of a lot of theories around why people change. Sometimes it's uh, suggested that it's because you're sort of like used to a certain level of pain or discomfort. And when that becomes too much, you then make the change, uh, whether that's emotional, physical, any number of reasons. But I just, yeah... It wasn't like the mental laziness suddenly switched off. It was like almost like I suddenly became aware of it and I was unhappy with the person I had become by leaning on that crutch for so long and all the excuses that I used to make to myself. Because I'd make all these excuses to everyone else, but ultimately I knew I was lying to myself. And when you realize that, you say, man, like, you know, you, you, you like pull yourself up and check yourself. And I think that's the most important thing. It's not up to the rest of the world to tell you what you should or shouldn't do or for you to make excuses why you can and can't do something. It's up to you to talk to, you know, to know yourself and to check yourself and to decide if that's the person you want to be or do you want to be better than that. And that's a hard place to be when you come face to face with that. It was for me anyway. Yeah, and it takes a lot of courage to do that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also I think... Um, this is something that, that it, you know, was coming to this point over a number of years. We had a natural disaster in New Zealand. We had some earthquakes. I lost my house, affected my business. Uh, I was in court with the insurance company for a, uh, or the government and the insurance company for a couple of years uh, fighting it. So there was like a number of years leading up in this building of stress. My marriage at the time was falling apart. And, you know, all these things sort of combined and came to this one moment. And I was put in a position where I had to make a decision as to do I want to continue to be the guy that's going to blame everything that's happened, you know, around me or to me, or am I going to take responsibility for who I am now and do something about it? And that was a hard place to be. And it still is because now when I don't perform well, when I do something that I'm not proud of, or I, you know, like fall back into an old habit, I, I check myself and it's a good thing but it's also tough because I realize it's something I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. And the reason I'm spending so much time on this is because a lot of us, I think, put these personal limitations on ourselves. And even after we overcome mental laziness or take responsibility for ourselves, we say, well, I, I still can't change or, well, it's crazy to even dream that I could do that. And then we just don't even go for it. And we make all these excuses as to why we can't or we think like, well, now is not the perfect moment for me to try that. So like, how did you take those thoughts and that realization and actually turn it into an action that has become your life? Yeah, good question. Um, once again, it's a work in progress. Uh, <laughs> like I mentioned before, you know, there's no such thing as making it or having it all sorted out or, you know, a lot of I get a lot of messages on social media saying what's what's the advice you could give me the five points you could say that would uh, change my life or do this and you know there's, there's I, I can write a book and I could say 
this is what I did step by step, A, B, C, D, E, but it's not going to make any difference. 99.9% of the people that read something like that are not going to take action. Um, I think it's more important to figure out the why you want to do something or why you're changing. But yeah, um, it's that's, that's a difficult one because each individual is so different. Um, so yeah, it's, like I said, a work in progress, something we all have to work on every day. But I certainly think we undersell ourselves so much uh, in life. And, you know, it, it's easy for me to sit here, I guess, and say, look, you can achieve a lot of things. You can go out and do it. I'm proof that you can. However, you know, when I was 20, 25, uh, had, or at, at that point, oh, 24, 25, had two young kids, had another two or one or two on the way. I was, you know, like in a lot of debt because we just bought a house and we were buying all the things. And, you know, it's, it's easy for me now to sit there and say, yeah, you can just go and do it. But I had to go through all those things to learn to be this guy, uh, to learn to be who I am now, to be able to realize I could have done it then. But then I didn't have the tools, the resources, or I didn't have the way to think about, you know, about how to achieve these things that I do now. So... It's really easy to, to sit from a position of, of having gone through all these experiences and then to apply them. I think all of us just have to go through a lot of this stuff ourselves. But I would certainly suggest believing in yourself a lot more than what anyone else tells you. The, the more you listen to the outside world and the opinions of it, the more you're going to be swayed by it. I think if you can start to listen to that inner voice or whatever it is inside you that, that says, yeah, I can do this and then get some focus on it and then start taking action on it. You can actually achieve a lot and not necessarily in two or three months, but over time, man, you can make a big difference. Yeah. It sounds like for a lot of people and for you too, you have to build up to a certain point where you're ready to, whether it's a complete transformation in your life, or maybe it's something really small. Like there's a series of things that happen over time that prepare you for that. And that path is unique um, to every individual, but I recorded a solo podcast a while ago and it was about picking yourself. And it was like basically saying that like you can't wait for somebody to say you're good enough to do this or you're not good enough to do this. You just have to start and you have to choose yourself because you want to do it. And it kind of sounds like that's what you did with running. You're like, no, like I want to do this. I'm ready to take action. I've done all these things in my life. And then you just started and starting was probably really hard. It was. Uh, let's just say the first six months to up to even two years, it was uh, it was a bit of a uh, bit of a mess. <laughs> um, you know, I had lots of injuries. I was learning a lot about what not to do, um, but <clears throat> I didn't give up. Once again, consistency. Learn. I learned the consistency, the value of consistency and discipline in those first few years. I actually ended up getting a coach after about six to eight months. And that was probably one of the best moves I uh, made in regards to doing it so early in my uh, sort of like running life in that sense, because I finally had some guidance and someone that's, you know, I mean, I guess we're all like uh, responsible to ourselves, but I had someone else that I felt I was responsible to, to turn up for training, to do the work. And that made a big difference to my progress during that time. So having a coach also helped you stay consistent. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I think you have that accountability to someone else. Uh, you know, you're paying them as well. So, 
Yeah, and the consistency piece, I think this is a really interesting topic that I think about frequently is like for some people, consistency is hard because they have tried and failed so many times in the past that they've lost trust with themselves that they can actually follow through on something. How did you build that trust with yourself to have this consistency? Well, I think once again, having the coach, he said, you're, he said, the problem I see with a lot of people, and it's something I see with you too, he was quite honest and direct, is you try to do too much too quickly rather than like dialing it back and doing a little, you know, less, less each week will add up to more over time. So he sort of like dialed back my training, dialed back what I was working on. We did more work on like um, form, running form, strength work, rather than just going and running more and more kilometers um, and dial back the Ks and sort of increased in other areas, I guess, cross training, you would call it now. And that helped me develop that sense of being consistent, not sort of like jumping in and wanting to do everything too quickly. And I think this happens when people sign up for a gym, they want to lose weight for the summer, uh, maybe lose their quarantine body, uh, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. And they they start out with the best of intentions and all, all the motivation in the world and they just push and push and push and just burn themselves out. And I think it's better to do 1% over seven days rather than 10% in one day. So, okay, so you're getting 7%, you know, 1% times seven days, 7% done a week. But if you go and do 10% one day, then you're saying, I'm going to do it the next day and you don't, you only go and do it because you're tired or sore, you know, you lose that consistency and that, that motivation to just sort of like turn up and do it if you just push too hard at the start. So I think do a little bit each day towards your goal and you're going to achieve it. Now, it's not going to be done in two to three months this, you know, that, that you think it might be or in the two or three months that you think it might be. It might take six months to a year or two years. But, you know, that's okay. Uh, focus on the process, keep it in the day, and just become that little bit better each day rather than focusing on the end result. Now, that's such an important reminder that number one, too much too quickly tends to be one of the biggest issues with habit change because we just that's why people can't stick to it. And also that there's a lot of value in doing a little bit every day. And I think that we look for these extraordinary moments all the time or these massive breakthroughs. And that's not going to happen very often. So it's like loving the work for the sake of the work yeah. itself every single day. And like you and I probably think about that a lot, but the way that our culture and society runs, like we don't reward these like little 1% or like 1% gains of people showing up every day. It's like, we're always celebrating these big breakthroughs that people have. We are. And to be honest, the big breakthroughs usually come from working at, you know, 1% for 10 years yeah. um, every day. And a lot of people say, where did that person come from? Wow. And it's like, yeah, they. when you really start to look at a lot of successful people, they work hard and they work hard for a long time and they work on small gains, not massive changes, you know. I kind of liken it to I do these Instagram posts, these transformation ones. Uh, I actually got pushed into doing those by someone I know. They said, ah, oh, that's a super cool story. And I thought, oh, man, it's super cheesy. But it's really taken off. It seems to be a social media thing anyway. And, you know, people say, oh, you went from this to this. But, yeah, I did. But it, it actually took quite a few years. And I had a lot of setbacks. And I had to change a lot of the way I thought about exercise, about fitness, about health. And 
it wasn't just like, you know, I click my fingers because on social media you'll see a before and after screen. It doesn't just happen like that. It's, it's, it's actually the end result isn't a result. It's who you have to become to change into that person. That's the actual real result, not the actual change itself. And I think if people understood that more, it's who you need to grow into, who you need to become, that's sort of the real uh, goal, not how you look or, or the image that you see on the screen. But, yeah, we're so focused on society, on, on like, you know, did you get this podium? How fast were you? How does your, you know, how do your abs look at the beach? This kind of thing. When we lose sight of, like, who you really need to become, to, to those results are more like um, byproducts of who, you, of who you grow into and who you need to become to become a better person or athlete or whatever. So for those of you who aren't familiar can or who aren't familiar listening, can you walk us through that transformation piece and and even touch on some of the things you've had to change in your thought process around exercise, fitness and health? Yeah, so uh I I went from doing like nothing, like no exercise, you know, business guy wearing a suit and tie, about 105, 106 kgs. I, I think I actually topped the scales closer to 110 at one point with my doctor, but, you know, um, I don't remember exactly. It was it was up there, but uh, I do remember getting weighed at one point. It was about 106. So 106 kgs, I'm about six foot, uh, six foot one, so about 187 centimeters. Um, I don't know what that is in pounds and weight. Um Anyway, uh, 200 and 230 pounds, maybe something like that. Anyway, so yeah, big overweight guy. Um, and yeah, I had this moment where I changed. I got up, I started to run. Um, sort of like, like I said, the, the uh, switch was flicked. And I learned very quickly that just exercise was, was definitely not going to be a way to to drop the weight to run and I didn't want to lose weight I started to run because I, I wanted I love to run uh, I found this passion for it so losing the weight was so I could run more it wasn't to lose weight it was I want to run more what do I have to do to run more well I've got to drop some weight so I can run further and faster um, and then diet that was a big one and when I say diet I didn't go on any specific diets I didn't go on keto or vegan or or um, fruitarian or, or whatever the other high carb, low carb, um, whatever. I basically just stopped eating crap, um, if I can say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like so much processed rubbish I was uh, eating. You know, uh, I just said I just not going to eat this and just eat sort of fresh more whole foods. And that made a huge difference. Man, did that weight come up quickly when I started to eat better. And I started to eat less in the sense of not restricting my my diet, but eating to how I was feeling. If I had a day where I did a lot of uh, training or I felt hungry, I would eat. If I had a day when I didn't feel particularly hungry, I didn't eat. I sort of like listened to my body a bit more. And I found that when I did that, my body sort of found its rhythm and said, okay, you know, you're really hungry today. you got to eat. And I would eat. And then the next day I would say, you don't really need so much today. So I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't call it intuitive because um, some days I still like to eat a lot and I know I don't really need it. But, <laughs> but yeah, diet was probably the what I ate was probably the biggest part of it. 
And I didn't realize how toxic a lot of the food I was eating was. And I, I'm not a health guy by any way, shape, mean, any form. Or I still eat chocolate. I'll still have a hamburger now and again, whatever, you know. But certainly I, I don't consume anywhere near the amount of food that I used to. So that was, yeah, probably the biggest change diet. And what about deciding to start racing? Yeah. So after running for, I guess, around six to eight months, about a year, probably, I thought, okay, I want to like, see what this racing is all about. Because there, there was, you know, over the years, I guess there was always a competitive side to me. In, in high school, I, I really enjoyed track and athletics. I was on the athletics team. I did cross country. So I always enjoyed that competitive element. When I was in business, I enjoyed that competitive element. I also was a property investor for a number of years and I enjoyed you know, making deals and creating value out of the deals I was doing. So there was always a competitive element to me. So then, yeah, it came to that point where I thought, man, I want to throw my hat in and try racing. And yeah, I'd like to say, you know, my first race, I was like a dark horse and did amazingly, but I, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I think I came in sort of towards the back of the pack, uh, huffing and puffing, but I was hooked. I, I do love racing. I love the competitive element. I love working towards a goal. I love challenging myself. And I guess, yeah, pushing my boundaries, my limits to see where I'm at. So yeah, jumping into those first few races, I realized very quickly how much I enjoyed the process of racing. And then I started to set some racing goals for myself. I wanted to qualify and run the Boston Marathon. Uh, I wanted to, after I did that and achieved that, I wanted to start running ultra distance races. And uh, once I started doing those, I wanted to see how far I could run in ultra distance races. So yeah, there's always like a goal or something to work towards or reach towards. And I, I love that element of the sport. Yeah. So the competition and being competitive was always like a personal value of you. And you just got to flip the switch towards sports and apply it in running. How old were you when you decided to do that? Oh, I started running probably about eight years ago now. So what that be about 40, 43, 43, 44. I started on this journey, 43. Yeah. And how old were you when you ran your first ultra? Ooh, uh, 43, 44, about probably about two years into it. So mid 40s, 45, 46, mm -hmm. yeah. 45, now, yeah, I think. And now you follow like the world, like the world's hardest ultra running races and like you've made this your whole lifestyle and you've had so many achievements in that category yeah, too. Yeah, I don't know how that happened actually. It was never a plan. I, you know, people say, so how do you do it? And I say, I really don't have that much of a clue. Uh, I mean, looking back, I can... Can sort of connect some dots and say, well, I, you know, this led to this and this led to this, but um, there was never like a grand goal or, or idea to like make this into some kind of uh, sustainable lifestyle. It just happened that way. I guess from the passion of loving what I do, it's, it's developed into this. Uh, picked up sponsors, um, you know, then I thought, well, people are going to give me money to do this. And then the social media side grew just sort of all by itself as well. And then um, I started getting deals to do uh, social media campaigns for different brands and companies. And I thought, well, they're giving me money to be me. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, I, I still pinch myself because I don't consider it a job or like something I have to do. It's just a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, I mean, geez, I'm uh, 51 and people are paying me to, to go and run and travel. I mean, <laughs> 
it's crazy, but I love it. So I'm just going to roll with it and, um, yeah, and see where it takes me. That's quite a story of transformation. And the fact that you are 51, like most, the reason why I'm like poking on the age is because a lot of people, even like in their 30s, will say, oh, I'm, I'm just too old to start that. I'm too old to try that. It's too late for me. And they come up with all these reasons why they shouldn't even try. And or like, I'm not I'm not fit enough. Whenever I'm at a certain fitness level, then I'll sign up for a race so that I can, you know, do well in the race instead of having the courage to suck at something new. What do you say to those people who put that ceiling over their head and potentially limit their entire life? Yeah, I mean, I think you and I both know the answer is to just get out there and give it a go. Uh, and, and that's it. There's there's no secret. Yeah, some people are a little bit more talented than others, but the majority of um, doing well at anything in life is just putting in the work, having that consistency, discipline. I mean, I know it's sort of like a, a bit of a broken record, and I say this quite a bit in the social media, but there really is no magic. Um, you know, it's just getting out there and having a go. Um, and don't be scared to fail. Don't be scared to the, of what other people think. You know, when I first started doing running, I, I got a fair bit of uh, resistance from some people in my family uh, and friends saying, why are you doing this? You have built, you know, there's this uh, life up where you have like, you, you have your own place and you have, uh, you know, you have a couple of cars and you have all these things and, you know, you know, 15 more years and you, you can retire and, um, you know, have a comfortable life. And I'm like, I'm selling everything. I'm, you know, everything. I, I don't own a house. I don't own a car. I don't, own, I don't even own a, a, like a mountain bike or a kayak anymore. I, I've got like, I have nothing virtually. Um, and uh, everyone was like, you're like, just crazy to do this. But I have a lifestyle that's just incredible. When I say I don't have anything, obviously, um, you know, I, I, I do have some money in the bank and some investments, but um, yeah, I, I just choose not to have a lot of stuff now. Um, and I would say, yeah, go for it. No matter what time of life you're at, where you're at, physical condition, start from where you are today and, and go for it because we all have an expiry date, um, you know, and none of us really know what that is. So you might as well make the most of what you got right now and get out there and, and, and go for it. And I, I think that the biggest thing that holds people back is they're afraid of like what of what their thoughts are when they get started. Like, oh, I suck at this or so-and-so thinks I suck at this or I should just quit and not having that self-compassion and that positive self-talk. What did you do for yourself whenever you got out there and would face these demons? I learned that failing and not caring what anyone else thought was the best way to keep going. For example, when I, I decided I wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon, they have a qualifying time to be able to run it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to qualify. So I tried my first qualifying race and I was you know, a few minutes off the qualifying time. So I thought, okay, so I've got to try harder. Did the next one and I thought, man, I've done it. But I was like 12 seconds off, the, hit a headwind in like the last five kilometers. So I missed by like 12 seconds. And, you know, I thought, okay, so, yeah, yeah. And I sort of realized I was setting this, like, mental target of beating this time, which was the qualifying time. And then I had a word to my coach at the time, and he said, why are you aiming for the qualifying time? You should be aiming for, like, 
15 minutes less. He said, you're more than capable. Why are you setting this limit on yourself? And when I sort of changed that thinking or pointed out that I had to change this thinking, I then went out and ran um, a qualifying race that was like seven minutes under the qualifying time. And then I did two other races before Boston, and each one was even faster than my qualifying race. Uh, you know, it was like 14 minutes less. So once I realized the ceiling that I was trying to like break through or the, the qualifying time was mental rather than physical, I was the one holding myself back, not my physical ability, not what anyone else said. But what, what I'm saying is, I guess I didn't give up at the start. And then I realized that the only person holding me back all along was myself, not the opinions of others, not uh, my physical capabilities. And when I sort of realized that I had a breakthrough moment and thought, man, I'm actually capable of just about anything I set my mind to and possibly more if I stop limiting myself and have limiting beliefs around what I can and can't do. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how much what we think we can do limits, you know, it can also help us, but it can also really set limitations. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, realistically, I, I don't think I'm going to be like setting any world records in, in any race distances soon due to a, a number of factors. But I, what I do is I look at things that I'm passionate about and want to achieve because the only person I'm trying to beat is myself ultimately or not trying to beat but trying to improve on is myself. So I just look at it that way and think just go out and be the best dammy and I can be on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another question. It's kind of about identity. So you said before when you had like houses and cars and all these things and like I guess it's a two-part question. It's like number one, how would you define like what you were looking at as success? and who you were as a person identity compared to now? Because now you don't, like if you were using those things as a a marker of success and identity and you don't have any of those things now, but you're still kind of the same person, how do you define who you are? Yeah, um, good questions. Um, So yeah, back back in those times, yeah, I, I guess I defined success by stuff, how much stuff I had. Um, what position I held in a company or, or a title I used to, you know, introduce myself, as, uh, you know, as uh, um, a manager of a department of guys. Uh, I was a, a property investor. Uh, I used all these different titles, you know, uh, how much I had in the bank, how much property I owned. At one point, we, we owned uh, several properties, uh, me and my ex-wife. You know, I used, you know, so net worth was, was relatively good. So, yeah, I used to define myself by all those things, thinking that when I got the next deal or the next car or the next position that that I would somehow be a better person and more fulfilled. And I realized that I actually usually felt worse um, once I achieved some of these things. And not to say that any of those things um, aren't important. And to some people, it will make them feel better. And that's fine. But it didn't for me. And I think that was the key. It comes back to that, what we talked about earlier, knowing yourself. So I realized that the things I was chasing that I've been told would make me happy weren't as fulfilling as I thought they were going to be. So, yeah, that, that's what I thought success was meant to look like for me. But I actually realized what I really craved was, was adventure, was seeing the world, meeting different people and and pushing myself physically and challenging myself mentally with those physical challenges. So I guess my definition of success is, is 
not even success, fulfillment, I think will be a better word, has changed. And I, uh, the second part of your question, yeah, I did used to define myself by the things I had. And now I, I don't I don't even care what model iPhone I have or, or well, I don't have a car, so it doesn't matter. But, you know, this is the strange thing. I've learned that you don't need a lot of things to get by in this world. And when I say things, I mean material things. If you have like a passion uh, and a purpose and you go for that, a lot of the blanks get filled in along the way. And I'm not saying it's some magical thing that just happens. You have to work hard. You have to reach out and, and go for these things. But, for example, um, when we moved to Spain, um, we uh, don't have a car or uh, me and my um, current wife, I should say, don't, don't have a car over there, obviously. Um, we only moved there this year. So I thought, okay, so public transport super good over there, but it will be handy to have a car sometimes to get to races, to get to the mountains. Um, out of the blue, a couple of rental car companies contacted me and said, we'd love to do some social media promo work with you. We can give you a car anytime you have a race or have to go to events and you just have to do some promo work. So bang, now I get to drive the mm-hmm. you know latest model vehicles and go and do the different things and someone else pays me to do it uh, or pays for the vehicle and the expenses. So a lot of the time, you know, you don't need the things that, that you think you do because if you're on the path where you're doing what you really love, a lot of those boxes get ticked for you in a roundabout way. Um, so, yeah, I certainly don't define myself and I don't define myself by like sporting things or anything now. I, I'm just me. I'm just living my life, doing what I love to do. Maybe next year I'll decide I, I want to become a road cyclist. Maybe I want to be a swimmer. Maybe I'll take up badminton uh, or chess. Who knows? You know, um, I'm writing a book, but I don't define, not going to define myself as Ian, a, a writer and an ultra runner. It's just going to be hats. These are just things that I do and hats that I wear. Um, and I think once you stop tying yourself to certain things and just become like comfortable sitting in your own skin, uh, just being you, then, you know, you can pick up those different things, you know, business owner, uh, partner, wife, husband, uh, father, mother, athlete, and you can put them on, be them, but they don't define who you are. And I think that's something I've learned during this sort of uh, change process over the last few years as well. Yeah, that's such an important point. And a, a question that I like to ask people to just, you know, everybody's on a different place in their journey, but it's like, what are you trying to achieve versus how are you trying to feel? And sometimes those are really far out of alignment and sometimes they're in perfect alignment, but it's just like being aware of what those two things are. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, you didn't talk about the heart attack that you had and the doctor is telling you yeah. that like, yeah, you can't really run more than 30 minutes and yeah, we're running out of time. But I just really wanted to bring that up because a lot of times people will listen to, and, and there are times you do need to listen to your doctor, surely, but you didn't For even sure. let, you yeah. didn't even let doctors put limits on you. <laughs> no, well, well, I, I must admit, I, I did, you know, like in all fairness, I, I did seek out a few different um, cardiologists opinions. I didn't just say, ah, stuff that I'm going to go and do what I like. And I found one that was also an ultra runner. So I started to manage my training and how I developed to sort of come back into the sport from from that point in a reasonably safe and managed way. I I didn't just, you know, throw caution to the wind and just go out and run. 
and obviously that's you know that's an, an underlying risk that, that is still there. I'm, I'm you know relatively healthy now, and I get checked up. You know, I wouldn't say on a regular basis, but I, I keep an eye on things. But you know, there's also that thing of do I just want to like stuff a whole lot of pills in my mouth and sit in the chair somewhere and you know so I can live to to 85 or 90, or do I want to get out there and experience life? Um, I think that's a decision all of us have to make for ourselves. You have to decide what what your sort of like risk profile is and and then go for it. I mean, I think you probably know yourself in your own sport. Um, there's certainly moments where, you know, you've probably had some pretty nasty crashes and, and things have gone wrong. You have to balance up your love and your passion for what you do with that and and then go from there and make the decision for yourself. No one else can do it for you. Yeah, and I think an important thing I'll um, that you said that I'll just repeat is that sometimes you need to just get a second or a third opinion from a doctor. Sometimes yeah. you do need to stop or you do need to change, you know, or whatever it is they're saying. But um, even in my own experience, even through like pregnancy and, you know, as an athlete and things like that, it's like sometimes you need to just go get a second opinion and that opinion might, you know, actually be what you needed. Uh, look, totally. Uh, I mean, and I think given the, you know, the situation in the world at the moment um, with, with the pandemic is so many people say, well, this is the narrative. So this is what I'm following. And, and I think that that's, you know, I'm not, not against that, but I, I think each person's health or, or how they look after their health is such an individual thing. And it's so related to your own physiology. And it's also related to to different doctors' opinions. So, um, yeah, certainly with heart thing, you know, one doctor told me, that's it, that's the end of running for you, you're done, you're finished. Um, actually, that same doctor I went back to probably about eight months after after I had the surgery um, because he was the one that was keeping uh, doing my regular checks. And I've also been working with this cardiologist outside of that. And he said, oh, wow, so everything that... Um, I've told you is working really well. And I've said, look, I've got to be honest with you. I hardly been doing anything you've told me and been following <laughs> this plan here that was done by this person. And um, this is, he said, I, I can't believe you got the results, these blood tests from that. He said, I never would have even acknowledged it. So he was at least sort of like uh, honest enough to say this. And he said, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because it's working. So, you know, um, just because someone that's, a doctor or or um, has a certain uh, skill set tells you that's the way it is. It doesn't necessarily mean it. It can, but it doesn't necessarily mean it. So yeah, seek uh, second, third, fourth opinion if that's the case. And you know, if all four opinions come back saying no, then chances are it's a no. But yeah. you know, you never know. What was that that the you said the second doctor told you to do? Quote that. What what did that doctor tell you to do? Yeah, basically, it was a change in diet and a change in the stresses in my life. They actually sort of said, okay, went through like a list of things in my life, what was going on. And then like, um, rather than like prescribed medication said, okay, so these are the areas of life that seem to be causing you stress. Those are the things you need to change. And diet was one of them, even though I was still like, I was getting fitter at that stage. I didn't know so much about like, uh, how what I was eating could cause inflammation in, in my um, in my body uh, and what ways it would affect me. Um, 
stresses in my life around uh, how I dealt with certain situations. You know, like um, I used to get really wound up when things didn't work out the way I wanted them to. So I started to use meditation and that changed my perspective on things a lot. Uh, Acceptance of, you know, current situations being one of them. So, yeah, there was a number of things. Um, The way I exercised and the way I came back from recovering from the heart condition to not like go extreme, but to come back in a a slightly different way, not focus so much on the cardiovascular for a bit, uh, build some strength and then sort of like ease back into it. So there were a number of things and and I monitored it as I went and yeah, then bounced back um, relatively well. And uh, I'm still here today. When was that? 2015. So yeah, we're still hanging around. Although COVID did have a good crack at me last year. (laughs) But I'm still here too, so that's all right. We're all stoked that you're still here. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite happy about it too. Yeah, it sounds like that doctor was uh, like very familiar with lifestyle medicine, and that's such a growing field right now to help people make changes in their lives. It's not just like pills. There's just like life changes you can make. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, you know, the interesting thing was uh, I was taking a lot of pills. In fact, when I, I first, after I had the surgery, my doctor prescribed me a whole lot of pills. And I was taking more than my, you know, my mother who was in her mid seventies. Uh, <laughs> I got more more pills beside my bed than she does, and I was feeling worse. You know, after a couple of months, I just was feeling worse. And and when sort of the other doctor I was speaking to, I said, they said, "What are you taking?" So I, I said this, this, and this, and showed them all. And um, they said, "Wow, that's like, you know, you know, we give someone in their seventies that kind of medication." I said, "Yeah, my mum's." my mother is a good example and they said yeah you know not anti-medication this was a trained cardiologist not a like um you know so obviously been in the industry and was involved and knew all about medications and said yeah you know a lot of the time we find that people don't need necessarily need everything it's so individual to each person so it's like to try some of the different things and reduce some of these medications to see how you feel and in the end i i ended up coming off just about everything uh, that you know within that sort of eight month time frame relatively quickly and I felt just one hell of a lot better so and that's in my case it's not necessarily for everyone some people certainly need uh, the pills that they take but I, I certainly think we've become a society that medicates first rather than looks at maybe some of the other options that are out there yeah just um, for people listening to check out the American College of Lifestyle Medicine because there's like doctors that are, yeah, they're like, they can prescribe medications, but they also have other skill sets to help people, you know, get healthier if they don't want to take pills or like massive amounts of pills. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm not even like a big user of anything like, uh, you know, ibuprofen or pa- uh, paracetamol. <laughs> I've never really been a pill guy. So yeah. yeah, but you know, each to their own, but yeah, I certainly think lifestyle, plays a, a large part in being uh, and wellness I guess the term would be health and wellness rather than like just taking more pills and then more pills because of the side effects of the pills you're taking so yeah well we are out of time unfortunately but I had such a great time chatting with you I, I think that there's something that's really unique about you is that you're you deliver these really important messages but in a way where people can really you know relate to them um, and they feel inspired and empowered to make changes in their own lives, whatever that change may be. So 
I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing and for living like your best life right now. Like it takes so much courage to get to where you've gotten and a lot of hard work and all those things. But it's just, I love seeing people who are living their lives like you and I can't wait to read your book. Cool. Thanks, Anya. I appreciate it. Yeah. And where can people find you? Probably easiest to catch up with me on Instagram at ian.morgan. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ian. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Ian Morgan. I really loved getting to connect with him and hear his story. I hope that a lot of you walk away thinking that it's never too late to do the thing that you always wanted to do in your life. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show as it will help the show find others. And I'm thinking about you guys. I'm so grateful that I get to do this work. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. See you next week.